Hello, and welcome to ROINJ's podcast, where we will let you hear from the top business leaders and experts from around the Garden State. I'm your host, Anjali Kimlani. Ralph Izzo, thank you so much for joining me today and for giving me the time. I understand that you've released uh, this white paper, so uh, let's talk a little bit about it. In it, you're sort of outlining the uh, energy plan, correct? That's correct. No, it's my pleasure to join you today. Thanks for uh, giving us the chance to talk about our vision for what the industry uh, in general and our company in particular in New Jersey specifically should look like. Uh, There's really three basic elements to it. Uh, First and foremost, that uh, we want to help people use as little energy as they possibly need to use to enjoy uh, the lifestyle that they want to enjoy. So the key to that is energy efficiency. And then secondly, uh, Despite using as little as possible, there still will need to be some energy supplied, and we want that supply to be as clean as possible. So that is renewables and existing clean supply of energy, such as nuclear. And last but not least is that now that they're using less and now that it's as clean as possible, we want to help deliver it as reliably and with as much resiliency as possible, and that's the investment in the grid that we have been making and want to continue to make. And uh, I know that you compare to uh, states like Massachusetts and Rhode Island. I wanted to get to that in a second. But isn't this sort of a tall order? Because at the same time that we're, we as consumers are using more energy for all the gadgets that we have, whether it's a smart home or, you know, smart appliances, there's just more consumption. Um, and at the same time, I know in our previous discussions, you've mentioned that, um, you know, renewable energy is really expensive right now. So isn't there sort of a, a disconnect right there? Well, so so one has to be careful. Yeah, there could be a disconnect if we simply use the more. That's why our number one priority is to help people use less. So let me let me be a little bit more descriptive about that. You're spot on to say that we're connecting many more gadgets but those gadgets, and I don't mean to use a pejorative term, I mean they're, they're essential to the way in which we live today, are not the big energy-consuming devices in the customer home or in the customer business. The big energy-consuming devices still remain air conditioning, uh, lighting, and heating systems if you worry about natural gas, as we do. So it's the use of equipment and technology in the major energy-consuming devices that can more than offset for the increase in usage resulting from our communications tools and our computing tools. So we can help customers become more connected and use less at the same time. And the reason why that's important is for for what you just mentioned, that supply options, whether that's solar or wind uh, or even a new gas plant, supply options in general are more expensive than efficiency options. Of course, it varies by selection of technology and it varies by location around the country, but our primary focus is New Jersey, and certainly in New Jersey, there's a lot more we could do in energy efficiency that would be far less expensive than uh, renewable energy, uh, uh, certainly in the near term. So tell me about that. I know that you use two other states to sort of compare ourselves to. So let's, t- let's talk about why they're, why they're able to achieve more efficiency. Yeah, so you, let's just use Massachusetts as an example. Now, they have a comprehensive suite of programs, so I don't uh, want to pretend to be able to describe all those in details, but I'd say a foundational difference between Massachusetts and New Jersey is they have a, what's called a decoupling 
regulatory system, which basically uh, says that utilities don't make money simply by pushing more electricity and more natural gas uh, to customers. They make money by investing in infrastructure in a way that helps their customers. That could be by increasing reliability or by helping customers use less. But the revenues that they receive are separate and apart from the amount of electricity they sell, and thus the word decoupling. It's basically a way to help utilities invest in the infrastructure, whether it's a newer and more reliable transformer or a smarter thermostat, but to make investments without having to worry about how much electricity or natural gas they're actually selling uh, in terms of recovering both their fixed costs and their new investments that they make. And it's, it's not unique to Massachusetts. There are quite a few other states that have it as well, but that seems to be a foundational difference between them and us. That sounds a lot more like just being able to keep track of um, expenses versus costs rather than a, an entirely different strategy. Well, no. It, it, you know, so, so right now when uh, people use electricity in New Jersey, we get paid, depending upon the customer class, anywhere from – uh, 10 cents a kilowatt hour up to 18 cents a kilowatt hour. And so the more they use, the more we collect. And uh, you're not all of that, uh, every kilowatt hour we sell yields some additional profitability for us. So so we're, we're regulated in a way that says, gee, the more customers buy, the better off our shareholders are. And that's not the case in other states. And that's what we're trying to bring to New Jersey to say, you know, what, what energy is an enabler. It's not, a, it's not an end unto itself. People use electricity not for the sake of using electricity. They use it because they want the lights on, they want to charge their cell phone, they want to run their computer. So if we can help them do all of those things and use less electricity, uh, then maybe there's a win for the customer and a win for the shareholder. And, and decoupling happens to be the mechanism that Massachusetts and a few other states have used to bring that about. So let's talk about renewable energy, because I know that's something that you mention a lot. And uh, in, in the past, we've talked about how, um, you know, storage isn't quite where it could be uh, for renewable energy, and that's one of the biggest obstacles. So um, also recently, Governor Murphy was um, all the way out in California talking about, uh, you know, the wind energy goals. And I know it's something you, you're dabbling in as well. Sure. So, so I'm quite proud of our track record in terms of investing in renewables. We've put over $1.4 billion to work both in New Jersey and outside New Jersey in solar. But one does need to be careful about uh, the, the economics of solar, particularly in a state like New Jersey at this point in time. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is the amount of sunshine we get, right? So, so it's, it's a well-established fact that grid-connected solar is less expensive than rooftop solar, and New Jersey tends to put more rooftop than grid-connected. It's also a well-established fact that uh, in, in New Jersey, with our insulation rates, that solar is going to be far more expensive than uh, existing natural gas plants or existing nuclear plants. So that means that you have to deliver a subsidy uh, to solar, which is fine, but depending upon the nature of the subsidy uh, and, and the efficiency and predictability with which it's delivered, the amount of subsidy could vary. So, so I, I happen to think, and I think a lot of people would agree, that the current solar renewable energy credit program we have in place is 
probably the least efficient way to subsidize solar in New Jersey. And in fact, a law was recently signed that says that we need to rethink that. And I think that that's, that's great news. And I, I give credit to Governor Murphy for uh, signing that law. In terms of offshore wind, uh, recent developments in Massachusetts, at least, which was the most recent solicitation for offshore wind that I'm aware of, suggest that offshore wind could be done far less expensively than what we're paying to do rooftop solar in New Jersey today. Really? Still more expensively than uh, conventional power supplies, but but I believe there were some contracts signed uh, in Massachusetts in, in the public domain. The, the numbers that were quoted were $70 per megawatt hour. And in New Jersey, uh, we're paying north of $200 per megawatt hour for solar energy. So it's two-thirds less expensive than solar. Now, uh, how reproducible that will be in New Jersey, whether the price continues to come down, I think it's going to be exciting to see. But you pointed out something that was very important a moment ago. So you, you can't just compare that price to what people pay for current power because – while we love the environmental features of renewable energy, uh, one of the biggest problems from the point of view of managing the system is that it's not something that you can rely on from the point of view of scheduling. Right. So if you want to compare apples and apples, you have to compare renewables plus storage to conventional supply because we can, we can control conventional supply and we can't control renewables. The only way you can control renewables is by having a battery complement to it that says, okay, so I'm going to produce as much as I can now and charge up these batteries in this way I can I can discharge the battery when I choose to. And, and the combination of renewables plus battery storage is still uh, way, way above what I think customers would be willing to pay in terms of uh, significant penetration. But to, to, to the credit of, of many states, uh, including New Jersey, we're, what we're saying is let's Let's gradually invest in those areas so that we can continue to encourage research and encourage economies of scale and watch the price come down, which which it has done. And I know that uh, earlier this year there was a lot of discussion about uh, nuclear subsidies, and that was one of the things that you've been, you know, heavily involved in and, and had to deal with. So tell me about, you know, the most recent, I think, sort of um, – incremental update that happened was that uh, FERC came out and said that they were kind of unnecessary, these subsidies. Yeah, so so we we disagree with what FERC did, but we agree with what FERC claims their objective is, right? So, so FERC understandably says that uh, we have competitive markets, and those competitive markets have a certain design to them. And to the extent that market participants get payments from somewhere other than the market, that undermines the design, right? So, so if we're supposed to be competing in a market that's designed a certain way, but off to the side somebody else is giving me some money, then the way that I can bid my plants in the market is different than somebody who's not getting money from somewhere else. Now, what, what does that somewhere else typically look like? Well, that somewhere else is typically a renewable energy credit that a wind farm might get. It's a solar renewable energy credit that a solar farm might get. Or in our case, it's a zero emissions credit that our nuclear plants might get. So what FERC said is oh, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem fair because these gas plants and these coal plants and some other nuclear plants uh, don't get those payments. Uh, so so we're, we're, we're creating inefficiencies in the market. However, they also said, but we realize that we FERC 
can't design the market to take into account some things that states want to take into account. And the two most prominent things that states have been talking about taking into account are environmental attributes of certain technology and the fuel diversity uh, uh, considerations that are associated with long-term uh, stable supplies. So, so, for example, FERC does not have the statutory authority to put a price on carbon. And yet that's something that matters to many states like New Jersey. So FERC is, I think, doing a good job of saying, all right, how do we preserve the right of New Jersey and others to incentivize nuclear and renewables without having that damage, translation, suppress power prices in the energy and capacity markets? So there's a couple of ideas that have been percolating around, and they go by the usual alphabet soup that uh, uh, we use in this industry, FRRs, which stands for Fixed Resource Requirement, RECO, which stands for re Resource uh, Carve-Outs, and various other things that uh, we probably don't have time to go into here that will try to accomplish the, the dual purpose of letting states uh, pick and choose resources that they want to see uh, as part of their supply portfolio, while at the same time not resulting in subsidized market participants artificially suppressing uh, wholesale power price. Thank you so much again for your time. I, I really appreciate it, Ralph. My pleasure.